Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The text for today is from Paul's letter to the Romans, the sixth chapter. My dear friends in Christ, you are baptized. It's a state of being for you. It happened once upon a time, some years ago, some many years ago for some of you. A time that you can look back to and say, this is the day that I know for certain Christ came to me in the water. Through the water and the word, the cross came to me and delivered to me the salvation won for me 2,000 years ago. It is the way that the portal from the cross opens and the blood of Jesus is literally poured out upon you, covering over your sin, taking all the bad stuff away and giving rise to the new Adam who is Jesus Christ Within you. That day of your baptism is a wonderful day. You can look back and say, January 3rd, 1982, Jesus saved me. But it's also a day that begins the journey of you walking toward your own death, that own that your own time when you will close your eyes in this life and open them into the next to see the face of your Savior, Jesus. That's the beginning of the journey. But there's so much more that we can say with this, and Paul certainly says a whole lot more. But I think we do need, and especially today, being the celebration of the baptism of Jesus Christ, we do need to ask the question, why was Jesus baptized? You know, in our gospel text today, Luke assumes that you know what the answer is to that. Did you notice that? It's different from the other times that Jesus is baptized in the gospels. The other accounts of those baptisms where John protests against Jesus coming down into the water and John saying, no, it's I who need to be baptized by you. I mean, John got it, right? John understood why it was that Jesus didn't need to be baptized. Here is the unblemished, perfect Lamb of God being coming up to the prophet and the prophet looking at him and saying, No, no, no. It is by your hand that I need to be made clean. And of course, Jesus answers John in that moment, Let it be so now to fulfill all righteousness. Well, of course, that's the reason why Jesus needs to be baptized. But, but what does that mean? It means that Jesus, the Son of God incarnate, this whole thing that we just celebrated through the Christmas season, must identify with you in every way, including baptism. In baptism, he identifies as a sinner. He's not obviously a sinner. He has no sin of his own, but he goes into the water as a sinner to have your sins washed away because he has taken all of your sins to himself. He goes into the water to take your sins and to drown them so that you might have that very same thing in the sacrament that he would institute before he ascends into heaven. Go therefore into all of the world, preaching the good news, 
teaching people to obey all that I have commanded them. But what does he say first before all of that? Baptizing. Make disciples by baptizing and then teaching. You see, he institutes baptism for you because he himself was baptized. And in those waters, your sins are washed away because you know that Jesus took them there himself. And so Paul takes on this assumption that Luke has that Jesus was baptized for a reason and he breaks it out. And he talks about how it is that you're baptized and what it is that it does for you. In fact, what he says, and and this is, by the way, a very common text. We hear this a lot. And in fact, if you have ever had a loved one die and you've been meeting with the pastor, especially right before the funeral begins, I know because I use this all the time, these are the words by which I comfort the family. This is good for us to hear. Because Paul says, if you've been baptized, you know that you have new life. We're going to go through this. He says, what shall we say then? He's now explicated all these wonderful things about how we are saved by grace, through faith, not by works of your own. There's no work of your own that saves you. He says, what shall we say then? Should we go on sinning so that this grace that we've received from God may abound? By no means. Now, in Greek, this is actually just a little bit stronger than by no means. This is the H-E double hockey sticks, no, in Greek. I know that's weird to say, but that's really what he's saying here. We don't do this. We don't go on and continue in sin. We seek to leave it behind. We leave it behind us. We avoid it. We stop doing it. We know what it is. We make a conscious choice not to do it because you can in Christ now do this. Paul knows a reason why you can do this. And that's by baptism. He says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Well, how did you die? You see, in everyone's life, there are two deaths required. Everyone. Everyone who has ever lived, everyone who is living, and everyone who will live, there are two deaths that are required. It's the payment. For the believer, we understand that the first death is baptism. And the second death leads us into new life. For the unbeliever, their first death is, well, death, as we normally think of it. And their second death is burning an eternal hellfire, never actually to die, but always approaching death. See, there are always two deaths required. And if you are listening to Paul's letter this day, you have already died. You've been killed once and been brought back to life. Now, with your eyes, you may not have been able to understand this. You may have been hooked up to medical machines as you were baptized and they recorded no such death. But the fact is that baptism is a real death. It kills you. And it makes you alive. 
And so Paul says, if you have been baptized, if you have died to sin, how can you still live in sin? Because baptism is a death to sin. It's the old Adam who wants to do nothing but rebel against God, dying. And this, by the way, of course, we know is a daily thing. We rise daily to remember our baptism, to drown the old Adam and let that new Adam rise up. The new Adam will do no evil. The new Adam will do nothing but good. The new Adam is Jesus Christ in you. And so if you've been baptized, this old Adam, who, by the way, is really good at being a swimmer, still drowns daily. And the new Adam comes up. You've died to sin and now you live to righteousness. And why is this? Because if you were baptized into Christ Jesus, who by the very waters of the Jordan was baptized for you, then you are baptized into his death. Because in a real way, Jesus' baptism was a death just like yours is in baptism. Jesus was baptized and you are baptized. You are buried, therefore, with him by baptism. This isn't some symbolic act. This is an actual thing that just as, I mean, imagine that you are laid out in a grave, no coffin or anything. And what's the first thing that happens to you as you're covered up? Your face gets covered by the dirt. And the same thing in baptism. For most of us, it was done by sprinkling. Some of us, it might have been done by immersion. There's a whole lot of valid ways to baptize someone. But if you think about it in baptism, the first thing that gets covered is your head. Your head is washed by that water. It's covered over by the water. You are being buried, literally, therefore, into Jesus' death. Just as he was dead three days in the tomb, so are you also being buried under the water into his death, for those waters have been sanctified by his baptism. And you're not buried for no reason. You're buried into that death so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, you too might walk in newness of life. Dead people don't walk, do they? Dead people don't walk. I've never seen a dead person walk. You've never seen a dead person walk. It is only the living who walk. Thus, if Christ is indeed walking around, He must be raised from the dead. I had a professor in seminary who said the better response at Easter to he is risen should be he has feet. He has feet indeed. Alleluia. Because Mary, of course, we remember in the garden, saw Jesus standing there thinking he was the gardener. And when he spoke her name, she realized it was her risen Lord. And so she grabbed onto his feet and began to weep. And he said, do not hold on to me. You see, Jesus had feet. Ghosts don't have feet. Spirits don't have feet. Risen people from the dead have feet that they use to walk around this creation. And so too then do you. You have been brought from this death in baptism into new life to walk not just through this world, but in righteousness. 
You have been raised to life to walk in the path which leads to eternal life. The path laid down by Jesus Christ. The path of the cross. Because it's true. From the moment you're baptized, you are walking proudly, easily, happily, humbly toward your next death. Because if you've died once and have been raised to life, you have no need to fear the next death because what is it going to do to you? If you've died and have been raised, the next death is nothing. That's the harder one. That's the harder one. To die to sin, to leave sin behind in the water, that's hard. And that wasn't even done by you. That was done to you. The next death, where your life is taken, your breath goes away, your heart stops beating, your synapses start firing, Jesus can conquer that too. And you know He can, because He also was raised from the dead for the glory of the Father. And so you, you too will be raised in the very same way, to walk in newness of life. And you know this because if you've been united with him in a death like his, and I don't think Paul is just talking about the crucifixion. I think he's talking about the crucifixion and his baptism. If you have been united with Jesus in a death like his, and you have, then you shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. It doesn't mean that if you are going to the cross, then you'll be raised from the dead. Because we know thousands of people were crucified, just like Christ was crucified. Literally led to a cross, their hands nailed to the wood, their feet nailed to the wood. Thousands of people died like this. That's not the death that you must go to. Instead, the death that you face is that baptism, that first death. For the believer, you know that your old self in this baptism was crucified with him. This is your crucifixion. This is where you find the cross. The cross of Jesus coming to and for you. You were crucified in order that the body of sin would be brought to nothing. The idea here is, if you can imagine packing a body full of something explosive, I think that's a great picture for us. That I mean, just imagine like swallowing dynamite and letting it fill up your body from your toes, up your legs, your knees, your thighs, into your body, your chest cavity, and all the way up down your arms and up into your brain, and then having the fuse set and you exploding from the inside out. There's nothing left of you. That's what baptism does to the old self. That's the body of sin that is brought to nothing so that you can't be enslaved by sin. You cannot put a chain around dust. You have been brought to nothing so that chains can no longer bind you. Instead, the one who has died has been set free from sin. The old Adam is gone, is dead. Every single time we remember our baptism. 
He's gone. You no longer are enslaved to do what the old Adam is saying you should do. Have hatred in your heart, to speak ill with your mouth, to do poor things with your hands, to ignore the person who is in need, to spread that gossip. You don't have to do that. You don't. That old Adam has been decimated. He's gone. You're not enslaved to him anymore. Instead, you have now died with Christ. And if you've died there in the font, then now you also may live with him. Because Jesus doesn't leave a dead person dead. In fact, if you notice in the scriptures, every time Jesus encounters a dead person in his ministry, he raises them. You ever notice that? He doesn't always do every single miracle that's asked of him. In fact, there are places where he can't do any miracles whatsoever. But every time he encounters someone dead, he raises them to life. And it is the same in your baptism. That where you die, he will not leave you dead. But he will raise you into everlasting life. Because if Christ has been raised from the dead, never to die again, death no longer having dominion over him, so also will it be for you. If you've been baptized into Christ, if you've been baptized into his death, you also will get the very same thing that he got, which was life everlasting. The death he died, he died to sin. Once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So also, you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You see, your baptism raises you into this new life. But what are you going to do with it now? How now will you live? Will you live in the ways of sin? Will you live as if you are still enslaved to sin? Will you live as if you have no choice but to sin? Or will you live to Christ? Will you live in His righteousness? Will you live in the holy ways that He has given you to live in His Word? Will you live for your neighbor to do good to them, to seek out those who are hurting, to find those who are poor, to help those who need help? Will you live to Christ? Because that's what our good works in this life are. That's what the path set forward to our death is. It's not to make ourselves holy by some introspective thinking and meditation. It's not really just to read the Scriptures and that makes us better. It's not to make sure that we're praying a certain amount every single day or singing a certain number of hymns every single week. That's not the holy life that God would have for you. It's part of it, but the rest of it is live toward your neighbor. Everything good has been won for you. Everything good that you do is now either toward God or toward your neighbor. And to be honest, God doesn't need your good works. He's good enough. He's set. 
The cattle on a thousand hills belong to him. He wouldn't even tell you if he was hungry. He doesn't need your good works. Your neighbor needs them. So how is it that the new Christ who is alive in you, this new Adam that is Christ is alive in you, how does he come out? How does he lead you into the works that are set before you? And honestly, that's a question that only you and God can answer. Because you and he know yourself better. To see who the neighbors are that he has placed in your life around you. How do you work for them? Because every good thing that you do is one step closer toward the death that's coming for you. Whether that is a natural death that comes through sickness or disease or or just old age. Or whether that's a death that you are brought to by persecution and martyrdom. Every good deed you do in Christ as a Christian leads you toward that day. That day when you'll close your eyes in death. When your body will stop living in this world. And you'll open your eyes to heaven to await the resurrection of the dead just as Christ is raised from the dead. Everything is trying to get you to that day so that you can open your eyes in a new day to be joined in eternal life with Christ and with all those you love who have been brought up in this faith that you have even this day. That faith that was given to you in that font, in your baptism, that faith that has guided you through this life and that faith that will see you until that last day. Everything that Christ has for you in this font is getting you toward eternal life. The forgiveness of sins, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the baptism into Christ, the death of the old Adam, the rising of the new Adam. All of this is so that you may see your Savior in faith and in hope. Because, my friends, if you've died here, if you have been united with Christ in a death like his, then certainly know. Always know that you also will be united with him in a resurrection like his. You will see your Savior because he's been found there and now he is found there. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all human understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.